We're in a series this year, and the focal point of that series is Tell Me the Secrets. We're looking at the secrets that God has revealed to us in His Word. In January, we talked about the secret of worship, and this month is February, and I've been talking about the secret of love, and His love is indeed extravagant in comparison to what we deserve, for sure. And today, the secret about God's love that I want to share with you is that love is not offending It should never be offending. It's not what you say, it's how you say it. I'm sure we've heard that saying before. So I want to start off by just, let's be honest with each other this morning. We all say dumb things. It happens. We all say smart things from time to time. We all say things. We just don't always say things well. Now I appreciate when I'm reading through God's Word, and I can totally relate, to a dumb thing that someone does or says. I do stupid things, you do stupid things, and we do and say stupid things. So when someone in the Bible acts like a dummy, but it also eventually is used in a great way, it gives me great encouragement. (laughs) It gives me hope. Okay? You see, we're in luck. God can still use dummies. We're okay. We're not doomed to to dumminess all the time because of what we say or how we say it. For the simple reason that His love is extravagant. For the simple reason that we are His children. We are made in His likeness. And He wants us to be a reflection of Him. He wants us to be His hands and feet. He wants us to love like Him. And He wants us to understand one of the secrets of love is that love is not offending. You're going to hear that several times because I really want that to stick. I think that's why Jesus was so patient with His disciples. (laughs) No matter what silly question they asked or, or, or how they asked it or, or how many times they asked him to explain a parable or, or how many times they did something that was just not what he would have done. His response to them was always in love. It was never offending. Will you pray with me? Father God, as we come to this time where we're going to look at your word, where we will see reflections of, and examples from your son, I pray that we will strive to be like that. We will find in our hearts and our minds to maybe become less offensive and, uh, and be a, just a better reflection of you. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Now we're going to look at Mark chapter 8. You can go ahead and turn in your Bibles there. But while you're turning there, what you need to understand is uh, this is kind of the... Uh, this would be like the second phase. This would be kind of like a Star Wars kind of thing. And there was, there was Star Wars and there was Return of the Jedi. So there was Mark chapter 8. But then the, before that was Mark chapter 6 because that's how numbers work. Okay, and, and what happens in Mark chapter 6, Jesus was experiencing just hordes of people. They were following him. And, and so this is like the prequel. They were following him. They were marveling at the miracles and the things he was doing and the, the things he was saying. And, and in Mark chapter 6, he had just fed a group of over 5,000 men, plus women and children, which could have added up to somewhere around 20,000, give or take, people. He fed them with five loaves of bread and and with just two fish. Now, that was Mark chapter 6. I'm not sure the exact time frame between Mark 6 and Mark 7. I know it only takes me a few minutes to, or Mark 8, it only takes me a few minutes to read that. Uh, So if if it's like a map, it was only like this much. So... A few hours after Mark chapter 6, we're in Mark chapter 8. It, it may have been weeks, months, I don't know. 
But you would think something as amazing as feeding 20,000 people with a couple of fish and a few loaves of bread would stick in the mind of people who witnessed that. You would think that's something that, that's, that's extravagant. That's, that's a big deal. But here we are in Mark chapter 8. And once again, Jesus was teaching and healing people just left and right. They were all around him. He's sharing with them. His disciples should have expected what's about to happen, you would think. But here we are in Mark chapter 8, verse 1. During those days, another large crowd gathered. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them away hungry, they will collapse on the way home because some of them have come a long distance. His disciples answered, But where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? Um, are you kidding me? (laughs) Hello, disciples. This is where somebody should step up and and kind of, you know, they should have had a V8 thing and kind of bop them on the head. What is wrong with you? Can you be fired from being a disciple because of things like that? This is a case of, it's, it's what you said, not how you said it. I can't believe they said it to begin with. The Bible doesn't say which disciple said it, but they looked Jesus in the eye just a few days, maybe a few weeks, maybe a month even after he fed 20,000 people with a couple of fish and some bread. They look him in the eye and they say, but where in this remote place can we get enough bread to feed them? It's a good thing I'm not Jesus. It's a good thing you're not Jesus, because we would have had a totally different response. Jesus, I would, ima- I would like to think that he at least shook his head a little bit. You know, how many loaves do you have? He probably didn't, but that's what I would have done. How many loaves do you have, he asked. Seven, they replied. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. When he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people And they did so. They had a few small fish as well. He gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate. 5,000 people ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. You see that? This group of people consisted of 4,000, give or take, men. Less than the time before. So why in the world could the disciples not know and, and even think back a little bit to, hey, he just fed 20,000 with a little boy's lunch and we've got some bread in the bag we carry. We're going to be okay. No, he, they couldn't remember the last time. Almost the exact same situation. They had leftovers then too. Maybe that's what they were feeding the people with. I don't know. But it's a thought. Why can't they remember that? Well, because they're human. They're They're sinners. They can be dumb. They, they forget easily, like, like the Israelites forgot repeatedly. Like David, a man before God, after God's own heart, forgot. Like Saul, before he became Paul, forgot. Like you and me, we forget that God is God and that he will provide and that he will show that love is not offensive. Of all the things Jesus could have said, He could have said, what's wrong with you simple-minded freaks? What were you doing two weeks ago when I fed 20,000 people? Where were you? A little boy's lunch. He didn't say that. He doesn't chastise them. He didn't treat them poorly. He didn't make them feel bad because they forgot. He just simply says, how much bread do we have? Any fish? Yeah, there's some fish too. And he takes the food and he blesses it. 
And he shares it with everyone. And he's showing the people that God will not only provide for their needs, but he's also showing his disciples that love is not offending. He could have belittled them. He could have scorned them for lack of faith or lack of memory. I think we all suffer from both of those from time to time. But instead, he chose to teach them that love is not offending. You see, we're so much like the disciples. We go through life and and God blesses us almost every single day. He's pulled us through struggles and trials and temptations and hard times and sickness and health and all those things. But for some reason, whenever we enter into another trial, we always tend to say, Lord, we don't have that much bread. If I see the scars on his hands and his feet and, and touch his side, I will believe. Lord, how will I get through this? What will I do? There's times like these that we may indeed need to be knocked upside the head like the disciples. But just like every other trial we've gone through, just like when God provided for us the time before, He's not going to fail us now. He chooses during those times of trial, during those times of hardship, He chooses to show us that His love is not offensive. And why does that leave our minds so quickly? It's just like the disciples. I can be in awe of what God does for me in my struggle one minute, and then a week later stumble over something, and the very next time it happens, I forget. Where's my help? What's going on, Lord? I have to be honest with you. I'm glad that Jesus didn't fire the disciples or give them like an eagle karate punch or something. Instead, he gave them grace. And he taught them more. He continued to teach them. He continued to help them grow. They grew to be brave, influential warriors for Christ. By showing them love is not offending. That's what he did. I'm also glad that the Bible records the dumb things that they said and did because failure can be inspirational. That's tweetable for you younger people. Failure can be inspirational, especially when you know the ones who fail have successes that are eternal. When you have a success that's of eternal importance, it's one of the secrets of love is that it's not offensive. So the next time a trial sneaks up on you or you make a mistake... You feel that panic mode coming on. You don't know what you're going to do. You don't know where you're going to turn. You need to give yourself a quick history lesson. It'll only take about two seconds. You need to say to yourself, Self, has God ever let you down before? No. Lesson's over. (laughs) Has God always been in control with a perfect plan? Yes, just in case you missed the first lesson. (laughs) All right then, trust Him. He will not forget you. He will provide for your needs. And along the way... Through the people in your life, he will show you love is not offending. Allow me to share this with you a different way. Go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 18. We'll do that. I'm going to expound on this a little more because here we're going to see some situations. We're going to see again a question that the disciples are going to ask. And we're going to think, why would you even ask that? He's going to ask, they're going to ask him a question. And how he responds just amazes me. Matthew chapter 18, verse 1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked him, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? (laughs) Seriously? (laughs) That's what you're asking? You're going to ask Jesus, God in flesh, Hey, who's the greatest in heaven? And you're going to expect him to give an answer like, Well, it's you, Bob. Thanks, John. I'm here for you. (laughs) Second greatest in heaven. (laughs) why are they even asking this question 
I don't know about you, but I'm just looking forward to being in heaven. I'll take singing in the back row of heaven over sitting on the front row of hell any day, okay? I don't care who's, who's greatest. I just want to be there. Seriously. <laughs> These guys, they're like, Jesus, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And rather than giving them names, rather than saying, well, not you. Because <laughs> you've got to ask that question. It's a little shaky ground. He replies once again by showing us that love is not offending. He looks around. Verse 2. He called the little child to him. And he placed the child among them. And he said, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Let me just pause. That is not the answer they were looking for. Kids were kind of looked at like property. They were there to help in the field or in the, the shop or whatever. And, and, and then they, what? I have to be like a child? He goes on, he says, and whoever becomes one such child in, me, in my name welcomes me. Look, he could have shot them down once again. Prime opportunity, the big bullseye on their chest for the question. He could have called them out for both arrogance and ignorance. But instead, he chose to show them love. And he chose to teach them about serving others first and about putting others above themselves because he knows the secret of love is love is not offending. Are you seeing how this has fallen together? But then he goes on and he tells them in verse 6, if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come, but woe to the person through whom they come. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. Whoa, he just got real. And gouging out your eye doesn't exactly seem to be non, I mean, it seems offensive to me does not seem to be non-offensive to gouge out my eye or to cut off my hand. But do you see the transition he made? He went from talking about the little child in their midst to talking about his followers being little children. And how not only should we not cause ourselves to stumble by returning to sin, that's what he's saying. Don't keep sinning. If that's what's causing you to sin, you've got to cut that out of your life. So rather than return to sin, then he's saying, but, but then we shouldn't even cause someone else to stumble. He's telling them and us that accountability should happen in love. He's saying, don't go around making someone stumble even if they're making a mistake. I like that Jesus uses a little child reference. He's got one standing in their midst. And when he's talking about his followers, he's calling us little kids. (laughs) One of these little children, followers of me, he makes that transition. Listen, Little kids make mistakes. We make mistakes. Here's the thing about mistakes. They're not to be made into spectacles. Mistakes aren't opportunities for harsh discipline. They're they're opportunities for learning. Now, if you keep doing the same mistake, it gets kind of harsh. Cut your hand off, cut your foot off, gouge your eye out. 
So yes, there's some harsh discipline that comes with continued unrepentant sin and and uncared for mistakes. But Jesus is saying here, these are my little children. We don't need to be harsh with one another when we stumble. When you make a mistake, it's not my job to, to judge you, to be harsh or to turn your mistake into a spectacle. It's my job to be accountable to you, to bring you along and to get you straightened out. Same thing when I make a mistake, which very rarely happens. Um, don't talk to my wife about that. So whether we stumble or fall or make mistakes, we need to realize love is not offending. So what should we do? How do we deal with a brother or a sister that stumbles? How do, we, how do we put that into action? It's a good question, and Jesus gives us a good answer starting in verse 12. What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the ninety-nine on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he is happier about the one, the one sheep than about the ninety-nine that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. Now, I want to be clear for a second so so you don't miss this. There is a big difference between stumbling or wandering off and just flat out leaving or or turning away, okay? The unfortunate side of being a leader in a church is that sometimes sheep just leave. It happens. I want you to know right up front, I'm very transparent, If you choose to leave the fellowship of Huntsville Christian Church and go somewhere else to fellowship, and I promise I won't come after you, you've made your decision. You've made your choice. As I understand things, you've made a choice to leave. You've you've lifted up your little sheep head from eating grass, and you've said, oh, grass looks greener over in that pasture, or ooh, that sheep pen is nicer and newer, and they've got better Wi-Fi. It always works. I'm going over there. If that's what you do, I'm not going to follow you. On the flip side of that, if you're walking along the mountainside with all the other sheep just grazing and you stumble over a rock or fall into some fast-moving water, sheep do that in real life, by the way, okay? A sheep will get so engrossed in just eating grass and following a good clover trail, they'll just walk off a cliff. They're not real smart. So I'm sad that Jesus refers to me as sheep sometimes, but they do that. I want you to know if this happens to you, if you are found... To be in in a struggle or you confess to struggling with something uh, and the addiction or the depression or the anxiety or the guilt of your actions have become so overwhelming that you've stumbled and you've wandered off, I will annoy you with my persistence in bringing you back. Because you are not meant to be out there by yourself when you've wandered off, when you've stumbled. You're just one sheep away from the flock and that's what Satan wants. That's not what Jesus wants. I will exhaust all efforts in bringing you back. And when you come back, me and the 99 that are still on the hill will rejoice and we will celebrate and welcome you back and start fresh with love and accountability again and again. And I hope that you 99 would, would even join with me in, in maybe helping to bring, it, bring back some stumbling, wandering sheep if it happens. Jesus continues to clarify his position on love, never offending when he tells his disciples about that. And he goes on when he talks about sin in the church. Now remember this. We think about sin in the church and we think it's got to be spectacular sin. We have to think it's, got to be, it's got to be immoral. It's, it's got to be this horrible thing. Sin in the church can be many things. Gossip, dissension, slander, lies, addictions, unrepentant actions. Dealing with sin in the church, verse 15, Jesus says, If your brother or sister sins, go 
and point out their fault. Just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. So right there, if your brother or sister sins, if they're gossiping, if they're lying, if, if they're slander, any of those things, go first to them. Verse 16, but if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. If they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Now you may think that doesn't sound very loving or non-offending to treat someone like a pagan or a tax collector. But what does Jesus say first? If your brother or sister sins... Go and point out their fault, just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you've won them over. Folks, do you have any idea what this means? Do you really have any idea what this means? It means that if I have offended you in some way, which again, will probably never happen. um, Really? (laughs) May happen a lot. If I've offended you, the burden is on you to come and talk to me about it. I use myself because it's easier that way because I'm standing up here. If I've offended you, it's on you to come and talk to me about the offense. And as Christians, we've given one another permission to come and have that conversation. As a brother or sister in Christ, you have given me permission to be in your business. I've given you permission to come to me and say, hey, that was a little over the line. Sometimes it's necessary. I don't care who you are. I don't care what has happened. But as Christians talking through something, we should be able to privately come to a God-honoring conclusion no matter what the issue is. I can't stress this enough. If people would do this, if Christian people would do this one thing, there would be a lot less people leaving the church. We need to resolve to love one another To love one another enough to work through a disagreement. Love is not offending. One of the things I say in premarital counseling is I always tell people, the young couples especially, everything is forgivable. Now that's not a a free pass to go and, and live a married lifestyle of debauchery and sin and treat your wife poorly or treat your husband less than average. But when we when we come together as a couple if you come into it with something that's, that's definitive, Satan will use that to destroy your relationship. And it's the same thing as brothers and sisters in Christ. Sometimes we think too highly of ourselves. Well, if somebody lies to me, that's it. We're done. I'm not dealing with them anymore. Now, let me tell you, somebody's going to lie to you. Somebody breaks trust with me. Somebody breaks confidence with me. Just once, I'm done. I'm not, no grace. Mm-mm. Doesn't work that way. I've served in four churches in my time in ministry. And I have to tell you, I have never witnessed someone leave a church because of doctrinal issues. I've seen people leave the church because of colors of the wall (laughs) or the carpet or the new chairs. I've seen people leave churches because of opinions and things that don't really matter. But I've never seen someone leave a church because of doctrinal issues. Typically, people leave because we forget that love is not offending Something happens and instead of confronting a brother or sister, we begin to gossip about them or we begin to make ourselves look better than the opposing person. My granny always said the second liar doesn't stand a chance. And she's right. (laughs) 
<laughs> if two people are at odds and they go talk to someone else rather than one another, the first people they talk to choose a side right then and there. And no matter what else is told to them later, they're not going to believe it. I know we're not always going to agree on everything. Look, look around real quick. Look around the people around you. Most of you may not have worn that shirt today. I'm just saying, we're not going to agree on everything. Pink's not my color, Lynetta, but it looks good on you. <laughs> We're not going to agree on stuff. We're going to have different opinions about things. But when we come to odds with one another, we need to remember the secret of love is that love is not offending. Jesus knew we would have issues with each other. He knew this would happen. He knew these things would happen if we didn't work through things together. He knew the disciples needed more than just an answer about heaven when they asked, which is, when they asked, which is why I think he answered the question that started the whole conversation. Remember, it was who was the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he answered it by starting off with a little child. And then he transitioned from little child to the body of Christ. And then he went from the, from the body of Christ to stories about sheep. That's where I got mildly offended. And then all of a sudden, he's talking about how we treat each other and how we should resolve conflict in a God-honoring way. And the whole time he's answering the original question, he's just taking the answer a little bit deeper. And then he comes back to how he started. You see this child? Become like him. The greatest among you should become the least. Put others' needs above your own. Go to the person who offends you and make things right. Brothers and sisters, we need to all agree right here and now that no matter what happens in the future, we will use Jesus' plan to resolve conflict. It's the best idea we have. He's shown us so many different examples of how love is not offending today. I want to share one last piece of Scripture with you. It's Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 through 15. And it says this, Therefore, as God's chosen people, that's us, Holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with one another, with each other, and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. As we come to our response time this morning, I want you to consider whatever it is you need to do differently in your life and in your relationships to live out this one secret of love. Love is not offending. Think back on this past week. This past month, this past year, which is only two months old, have you been offensive to someone? Have you caused one of your brothers or sisters in Christ to stumble? Maybe you're carrying around unresolved conflict with someone. Has there been a misunderstanding with someone? It's gone longer. It's gone on longer than it should have. Jesus says it's time for you to take the first step. Go to that person, exhaust all efforts to resolve the issue and restore the friendship and restore yourselves before the Lord. Think on these things as we prepare to respond to God's word today. I want to do something a little bit different. I'd ask you all to go ahead and stand with me. And we're going to do a responsive reading. I'm going to go first and then you'll, you'll follow. Therefore, as God's chosen people, 
holy and dearly loved. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. I don't know how you will choose to respond to what you've heard today. Maybe your response is to submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ in baptism for the forgiveness of your sins, to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Maybe your response is that you know you need to confront someone. You've never done it the way Jesus has shown us how to do it today. And you'd like some accountability. Maybe you'd like some wisdom in how to do that. The elders are here. They'd they'd be happy to talk with you and pray with you about that situation, whatever it may be. Just remember, as we prepare to have our response time, and as we go from here later, they will know we are Christians by our love. And the secret of love is that we're not supposed to be offending one another. Think about these things and respond accordingly. They will know. It's been great to be here with you all this morning, but now it's time to go. As you go this week, go seeking out ways to resolve conflict rather than fuel it. Go with a desire to restore someone that has wandered off rather than rebuke them. Go seeking accountability in your walk with the Lord rather than trying to do it on your own. Go and put into action the secret of love that you learned about today. Love is not offending. We sing this last song with us.